What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, have I told you about that dream I had the other day? What dream? So I had this dream. It was a sweaty dream? Nah. Okay. I was on this adventure. Yep. Well, I was in Germany during this dream. You're in Germany? Yeah. Were you and wearing I, Lederhausen? I was, yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> definitely was. And I was drinking steins of beer. And I just got this overwhelming need to buy a dog. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So I just popped on over to House Hamburg Shepherds. Oh, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd have to. And I know that they have the best German Shepherds, but the German Shepherds. So I bought one of their Dutchies. Oh. Man. The best. Shit-mouthing German Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> and so so then in this dream, I, I finished my giant beer and mm-hmm. I took off my Lena Hosen. Yep. And I got that Dutchie mm-hmm. and I put it on a plane yep. because they can ship them anywhere. It turns out I didn't have to even be there to buy this dog in this dream. Right. And I, I flew it over to the US. Yep. Right. So when I got there, I realized I need some equipment for this dog, this Dutchie that I've got. Wait. Were you in Canada or were you in the US? Well, I was in North America or somewhere. It's not important exactly Okay. Where. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, you know what I need? Some like training gear, some collars, some leashes, harnesses. So guess where I got it from? It sounds like it's a big lead up to an old mate, Mach LaPointe. Mach LaPointe. I just yep. got onto Canon Dynamics yep. and had it shipped to me. Mm. Didn't matter where I was in the US or North America, actually. Yep. I had Canon Dynamics ship it to me. It was wonderful. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, then I'm out training this Dutchie mm-hmm. in his all of his fancy equipment. The yep. Dutchie that I got from House Hamburg Shepherds mm-hmm. using the equipment I got from Canon Dynamics. Yep. And then I was training in dog park because that's how I train. Mm-hmm. And there were some people and they had some <laughs> sort of unruly behavior from their dog. Yep. And I think at this point I was in Ashland, Virginia. and uh, Fancy I, that. I thought, I said to them, they were like, oh, can you help us with this dog? I said, no, fuck you. I don't no, want to. I'm a dog part daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, fuck you, I don't want to. Yep. But I know someone who will come to your home here in Ashland, Virginia, while you're at work and will do like a little bit of a training session with your dog while you're gone. No way. You're not talking about Melanie Benway. It was Melanie Benway I was Bloody talking hell. about. Kindred Canine. So I g- gave those details. Anyway, so I went on to, you know, do some cool things with this Dutchie. Mm-hmm. And then I had to come back to Australia and yep. I brought the dog. Wow. But you know what I didn't bring? What? Was any of his equipment. Oh, he left it all there. I left it all there. Okay. So I needed all new gear. And guess where I got my leashes, collars, tugs, harnesses. Dog mills. Blah, 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 blah. Buffed Central. Einswick dog clip. Einswick Buffed. Yeah. Yeah. And when I got here, I realized, oh, you know what? I had been traveling this fictional dog in my dream around mm-hmm. in the crate that he was shipped from uh, House Hamburg Shepherds. Yeah. But I need a custom crate now. So I had a custom crate bill by the Buffed. Wow. Einswick.com. 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 Yeah. Einswick.com. Yeah. So after your dream, when you woke up, did you wake up with a boner? You've ruined it. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And joining us, what is this, your fifth or sixth time? 
I don't even know. I thought we just stopped counting. Yeah, now. we stopped counting. Mm. I just say hello, family. <laughs> <laughs> Since when do you count how many times family members come on? Yeah, that's true. We need it's a little. Birdie Oshidi. Hello. We need a little theme song for you or something like that. Like the bird is back in town. Yeah, bird. What's that? Uh, bird, family bird, bird. Bird, bird is, is the, the word. word. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, yeah. stop. Yeah, yeah. Oh, funny. Mm. Oh, it's good to be back. I missed you. I really did. Yeah. What are we talking about? Should we just get straight into it? Can't stop no thinking about that. <laughs> that Family Guy episode yeah. now. Yeah. No warm-up. Hey, Bertie, what have you been up to? Nothing yeah, what like have that. you been up to? Oh, now he caught me off. <laughs> what have I been up to? Busy, very busy times. Been one year now living in our property. Is that far? Wow. Yeah, and we just had a little delicious barbecue dinner the other day and kind of like looked at what we've achieved because sometimes – our property was super run down. It's a bit overwhelming. So mm-hmm. we had to take stock and look at our achievements. So we actually feel like we have achieved something because mm-hmm. the to-do list never ends. Um, and yeah, we've done a lot. Like when we got the property, you couldn't live in it. So now the house is livable. We had no topsoil in our five acres. Most of, at least a third had no topsoil, which made the house, house super dusty. We've reestablished topsoil all over the property. We have a community now. We have about 120 square meters of garden beds and a little orchard, blueberry hedges. So we got and bees now. Yes, thank you. Yes, we had very generous friends, John and Lauren, and they gave us a beehive. So cool. It's a very cool adventure. I love it. So now we can call you the birds and the bees. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm a biology story for little children. Um, yeah. But no, look, I honestly think it is. My dream come true. Mm-hmm. You have to work really hard for it. Like I, I think I, we have to leave the home just to have a break. Usually, we work very often, ten, twelve hours a day. Mm-hmm. Like Narelle was just looking at me. She's like, "Oh my god, you got gardening hands!" Because I said to her, "I can't. I don't have office hands anymore. <laughs> like yeah, I yeah. just, um, and I enjoy it a lot. It's really nice being outside." And you've been doing the online. Yeah. What, what's the right term for that? It's not a course. It's not coaching. So what's the- it is. Co- so I tell you, I understand why everyone's confused because I confused myself. I've opened spaces up for one-on-one coaching and they're very specific topics I'm doing. I'm doing what's called shadow work. That's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. Mm-hmm. Then I'm doing my dog, my teacher. Like if you feel like your dog triggered something in you on a psychological basis. So it's not about training the dog. It's more about, hey, my dog showed me something. Or for example, boundaries. I don't know how to hold boundaries. I feel really guilty holding boundaries. Or just, you know, sometimes dogs are amazing. It brings something up. Mm -hmm. So then I can coach them through that. And then sometimes I just coach people if they had a really big amazing life event. Like I realized when I was working in palliative care that a lot of people hold on to stories that they've never shared with anyone and they take them onto their deathbed. So I also specialize in just giving people an opportunity to share something that they want to share, whether it's amazing or beautiful or just something they want to get off their chest. Yeah, that's really interesting because you sometimes see people who have these amazing successes and keep them to themselves because they don't want to be seen to brag or if they're really good people you know, uh, it can feel like they don't want to make people feel less than because of their successes or whatever. Yeah. Um, and or also sometimes people just have strange experiences in their life that they feel judged by or they have like things that they don't have a framework to put it in. And I think that is so amazing that mm. people have an opportunity to talk about it without being judged. Yeah. Like I had this lady and she felt like she had this supernatural experience and she was a child and it haunted her her whole life and she just said, I want to talk to someone about it. So, yeah, right. 
Tell me about that off air. Yeah, we'll do. So now I'm doing that and then I'm currently in the stages of developing my web page and I'm a bit behind my schedule and I'm trying really hard, but, you know, you're collaborating with people and Corona happened. So, But the idea is that there's lots of on-demand courses available for well-being and essentially what I'm specialising is helping people reconnect with their power, you know, like how to burnout prevention, but also really focusing on how to not feel like you're a walking zombie in your life. How do mm-hmm. you feel like you awake in a life and you have power and you feel you have awe and wonder in your life? And I think that's what the Blue Mountains has taught me the, the most, how we are surrounded by magical things. You know, like I see the sunrise most days and it's so beautiful, but we are living in a space and time where we're not trained to notice those things anymore. And, and we forget that beautiful, miraculous things can happen like peace. Mm-hmm. I know we've been through it a million times, but I feel like that kind of stuff that you do is so important for the dog training community, especially I think the people who I usually end up saying, hey, you need birdie in your life. The small business, overworked, people doing board and trains in their home sort of set up because that self-care piece just gets left because they're so good at what they do. They're looking after the dogs and they're putting those dogs before any of their own needs which seems good, but really in the long term is not. Yeah. No, I think you can only help others if you help yourself, whether that's a dog or a client or, and I had to learn it the hard way. Like, you know, I'm learning teaching because I had to learn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I do believe that that's actually also why I opened one-on-one spaces up again. And I have a peer group where people can join in a group and talk about it to keep the cost lower. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that, yeah, I can help you with those things. Like I know how it feels to run a small business. I know how it feels to have being in an environment where you set your own pace and where you set your own boundaries. So you are your own driver essentially. And I understand also if you start a new business that things are a bit chaotic and you have to at the beginning probably work quite hard. But the idea is if you're not aware of your own inner critic or you don't know what your shadow sides are or your traps in life, then you probably overshoot or undershoot. Like, you know, you have to fine tune those things because you you need to have enough fuel in the tank for a long time, not just for a year. Mm. And that's, I think, why so many small business owners burn out after a year or two. Yeah. Hey, Tell me to shut up if we're going to work through this later, but I'm curious. I know we want to talk about shadow work and stuff, but often when you start talking to people about self-care and looking after themselves in order that they can you know, be productive elsewhere and look after other people, sometimes the very first step in that can be the hardest thing, like even identifying a, a place to start. Sure. And, and it's something like I relate to sometimes like health and fitness, right? So like I've been weaponly fit and I've been a great big fatty, fat, fat. Right. And when I've, because I have been so fit, sometimes if I identify when I'm a great big fatty fat fat and have to change my lifestyle, I don't really know how to do that because I know how to train as a fit, active person. And I have had to get advice on like, okay, how does a person like me restart training? Because I don't know that. I only know as a healthy person continues training. I needed advice on that. And that was really hard to, at times, really hard to grasp and know where to start. And in that self-care piece, I feel like, is that where people sort of come to you a lot? Is like once the ball gets going, they're usually okay. It's just that like, how do I make the first step in I this? think the biggest step is that people accept, hey, I need to do something and that they feel worthy of it. Like I think a lot of people just put themselves on the back burner. They always – I have a lot of people – 
will, um, in coaching or psychology terms, would be called um, a self-sacrificing schema. Everyone else and everything else is more important than my own well-being. And they're just so used to being numb and muted and detached and just hanging on. They're not thriving. They they probably live okay-ish, but they're not thriving in any form or way. And I also feel that a lot of people that I'm talking to, they're just not people who fit into society. And I, at this stage, I don't have high regards for the societal norms. Like <laughs> I'm like, that's a good thing. Yeah. Like, like, um, I'm, but I do believe it takes quite a lot of courage to actually go a little bit against that. Like if you look at Sydney, the mortgage market, like the way you have to slave yourself these days to yeah. afford a mortgage is crazy. Mm. So I believe that, the first signs of you not doing well is if you're numb, if you detach. People have, to me, a misunderstanding of what self-care looks like. Self-care is not just watching TV and chilling with Netflix or treating yourself with some wine or food or sweets. It's essentially you make space for seven types of different types of rest mm-hmm. and that they need to be honoured. And that you also know that you are not a machine. Life comes and goes in cycles and rhythms. You know, you sometimes you perform well, but then you need a break. So I think it's honoring that and honoring your true self and who you are. Like I look at my friend and they have a very different capacity to see people one-on-one than I do. And mm. that's just who we are. We're different, but I need to honor who I am and I need to honor who they are. Mm. But having the bravery to go like, this is who I am and this is what I need. Do you think that you experience people when they're critical rather than when they're feeling overwhelmed? Like, do you think you're finding people that are, are more hanging at the edge of the abyss? So most of the time people from history or historically reach out and then crisis. That's not ideal to reach out because mm. A, I have a waiting list and B, in crisis, you do just crisis stuff. True self-care is ongoing, And true self-care is not just looking at, if psychology would be like a funnel, a lot of self-care strategies are right at the top, you know, like at the big entrance of the funnel. But really honest self-care is also having time, availability and resources to go downwards into the nitty gritty stuff. And that might be not so pleasant sometimes, you Mm. know, because in the end self-care is you need to know your shadow. You need to know what your life traps are. You need to know what you're hiding, what you're scared of, um, what you're not allowing yourself to be, what characteristics you struggle with in yourself. And only if you really have combined them and integrated them, you have more freedom and you are more resilient because you know yourself. Mm. So self-care to me is not just a massage. It's not just a nice bottle of champagne. True self-care is I identify my weaknesses and I skill up. Mm. And that could be that you do less. That could be that you, if you have not enough discipline, you work on discipline. If you have poor boundaries, that you learn boundary setting. If you're more on your self-centered, like you, you're very me-driven, that you learn empathy and compassion, so you go outwards. But only you can identify what you need to do. There is no recipe. Mm. But the idea is that you know, hey, these are my strengths and they're my weaknesses. And if you look at your really good strengths, you know, usually also the polar opposite, that's your weakness. Like, for example, if you talk about shadow work, shadow work is parts that you've locked away, 
parts that you haven't allowed yourself to look at or you were told by family or friends and your surroundings or your teachers or your coaches, hey, this is something undesirable. This is not okay. We don't want that. So you lock that away over time and that could be anger, that could be greed, that could be jealousy, that could be feeling inferior, that could be not feeling good enough or that you're not lovable, like all these things, right? And as an adult, you need to have a look at these things because otherwise they're just a shadow following you and they stop you from doing things or you're overcompensating or you're avoiding things. I think to me, if you have a history of avoiding things in your life, that's the most dangerous thing you can do. I hope that if you're listening and you feel like, hey, this is something I'm going to look at it, that you do because if you avoid it, it just gets harder and harder. Mm. So a crisis is one point when people reach out to come back to a question, Glenn. And the other part is just when other people force them. Mm. So not the two best cases, because in that moment, you know, it's just like a fire extinguisher usually. The ideal place is when you go like, I'm making time as an ongoing process because A, it's not overwhelming. B, you have room to move and you can play around with it. And it's not scary. Like, you know, there's a very, it's a very different feel to go like, oh, I want to have a look at this too as – I have force behind it. Like there's a consequence if I don't do that. It feels very different. I find that I'm going to use myself as the subject here, but I find that speaking to you and even Narelle in certain cases that people procrastinate about their health and their well-being. It just happened to me recently because there's a heap of stuff going on here at the moment at work. Mm-hmm. And last week I pretty much had a, a minor meltdown because I was letting things get to me. The pressure was mounting. I was getting taken away from th- daily activities, things I like doing. I was losing a lot of sleep. You know, I was just in total fatigue. You know, I could feel that the overwhelm was there, but I wasn't doing anything about it. I kept thinking, oh, no, it'll be right. Tomorrow I'll wake up, just get a good night's sleep. Then I have another bad night's sleep because I'll be sitting there thinking about everything I've got to do. Then I'd get up, I'd try to run my normal routine during the day, find that I was just becoming inefficient, slipping behind, have another bad night's sleep, and it was just going over and over and over again. So, I could see all the signs there, but I wasn't really activating anything to oh, change it. I can it. relate. I've been there many times. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's a dangerous situation. And it's one thing to tell other people, you know, like you need to see the signs, you need to do this, and then be your own worst patient. The good thing is, is that before it got to a critical point, I went and spoke to the people involved and I sat down and said, look, this is what's happening. This is how I'm feeling about things. I think I'm getting to a stage of of reaching for burnout. I'm not there yet, but I can start seeing the signs of it coming. Sat down with Narelle, told her. I came in and said, look, this is happening. I just need to let you know that before anything major happens, like I need to make some changes now. great that you could communicate that. Well, I think it's thanks to being with people like you guys and even Narelle who practices things like that, that I feel more comfortable to speak about that rather than thinking I'm a man, I can deal with this shit. That is so true. And Mm. I think you just mentioned something really important. I think the culture that we're living in is very much of just make it work, just make it work. Like, you know, very often feedback from anyone you're working with or especially the higher up you go, usually any meeting just ends with make it work. You can do this. This is your job. Make Mm -hmm. it work, right? Like the the feedback is usually, sorry, I'm snipping my hands just to (laughs) accentuate the pace, is step up. And that's such a, to me, fundamental flaw in the system because essentially if you're good at it, you will always be asked to step up without ever being asked to have a break or just idle. And that's the human nature. We don't always step up. We don't always improve. We don't always perform to our highest ability. Mm. And I, for example, I'm very much like you. I'm actually not the 
I'm working hard on it these days, but I need very often my friends and my partner, Dan, my husband, telling me, hey, can I tell you something? Can I nudge you? Just so, you know, you haven't slept. It's the third night you're telling me this week you haven't slept because I don't sleep very well like you. Can you do anything? What can I do? And he has this, Dan has this amazingly gentle ability. He's like, how can I help you? What can I do that your best version comes forward? How can I take pressure off you? And he makes it so gentle and nice that you don't feel schooled. You don't feel belittled. It's this genuine heart space that comes forward. And I believe that this is the key if you want to help someone because what I've learned in the coaching process is very often if, for example, bosses come to me and they're worried about their staff, they're not worried about their well-being. They're mm. worried about efficiency. They're worried about money. They're worried about pr productivity. But that swings along. That vibes along, right? So, so it's a really – you have to be really careful about that. I think you get opposition reflex from people just like you do in dogs when you start putting pressure on them to say you need to. And I think they hear you but they just resist against it. Where I like what you were talking about with Dan. I think when you're dealing with a partner or a friend or a colleague that says – what do you think about or have you considered or what are your thoughts around this? Yes. And I think when people gently guide you into it and it becomes part of your idea as well, that tends to be far less resistance. And it's certainly, you know, since having these conversations, it's something that I've been working on other people when I'm having meetings with staff and so forth, instead of saying, you've got to do this and you need to toe the line and this has to happen or this needs to change. I find that if you're sitting with people and you're saying to them, all right, what are your thoughts? What do you think should be done? How would we do this differently? Like inviting them to be part of the conversation, not just scalding them for doing, you know, the things that you think should be done, but asking them, you know, they're intelligent people. They've, yes. got, they've got working brains and you ask them to activate them. And it, I think practicing that on yourself sometimes is a difficult paradigm. It you know? is. Like I'm, I meditate every day. I don't meditate enough. And it's the first thing that goes away. So I can tell that I'm stressed because my exercise will go away. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing I cut. And this is me on repeat for the X thousandth time. I should know if I cut exercise, it's not a good move. Mm -hmm. I should know that and still do it. Mm. Thankfully, I haven't cut meditation away yet, but exercise is something. And I've paid for it, right? Like I bottle things, stand up. It's a good release. It grounds me. I'm outside usually. But the other thing is that I'm just noticing is, especially when I talked with all the people in the veterinarian industry and other dog trainers, like when I develop my self-care program or is called Reconnect With Your Power. That's what I coach people in. And I've developed um, something close to the spoon theory, but I've changed it a little bit. But it's about how do you manage your energy and your vitality and how do you reconnect with your inner wisdom that really helps you wake up and live life and, you know, be part of this world and have vitality is that, you can, as an individual, work on your self-care only so much. If you're in a system that constantly exploits you and constantly is just not set up that you actually have a chance to thrive, you can't win. And I think that is also then an, an important step because there is when you talk to a lot of people in the self-care who come for self-care, it's very easy for employees to point the finger at the individual like you need to toughen up and that has a place that has a point that mm. is valid but at the same time the organizational and the organizational structure also has to look at it how things are run and what was really interesting the places that really thrived as a whole 
they had meetings where everyone had an input of like, hey, can we tune this or can we talk about this? Or this is something, no matter how much I skill up, will always be difficult. How can we manage it? So it was always communication was a key. And the interesting part is that you need to have quite good communication skills to be able to run those meetings because otherwise people just give you lip service. Mm. And I think if you have a team or you're running a team, and I also coach a couple of people in doing that, is you need to really create an authentic environment. Like people pick up what your motive is in those meetings. And I think that is very good. It holds you accountable, but at the same time, something that you have to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. It's interesting. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking as you guys are talking and especially in the, like I said, it's just it's super relevant to our audience because we're constantly in got other beings in our care. We're constantly caring for sure. dogs, sure. right? And then that has a flow and effect. We have clients and all that kind of stuff. And something that like I f- am constantly having to remind myself of is that self-care piece. And especially like use the example of exercise, right? So that like that's an hour a day that I need. And if I'm short on time, that's an easy thing to take away, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can just yeah. cut that out. Like yep. that's yeah, easy. That's same. that's gone. And I'm only accountable to me. So I don't have to disappoint anyone. Like the I don't have to. disappointment is so hard in those things. Yeah. Yes. So I don't have to say to anyone like, hey, man, I can't do that today because I need to work out or I need to do this self-care thing. It's much easier for me just to not do that and do the thing for the person instead. But, and in the moment that can be fine, that can work out. But long-term, it means that everybody gets a lesser version of what I'm capable of giving. If I'm not doing the meditation and like all the shit that I need to do to be the best version of myself. So it's really easy to cut those things out, right? Like it's no problem. Like if I need to find time, I can go, well, like I am only accountable to myself for this workout. So I can get rid of that. And I don't have to explain to anybody my whole life circumstance and how I put myself overload. And now I need to stop doing something. But then- every single person I have a follow-on interaction with gets a lesser version or not as good a version of myself. Especially a family. Exactly. And they're, you know, they're the ones that Mm. most important. Right. And so I think for me, it's took me a long time to understand this. And it's one of the things that I think if we can pass on to dog training people, you know, the dog culture people is that you're much better off really Oh, I think anyway, you're much better off catastrophically disappointing one person <laughs> so that you can be a hundred percent for the remainder of the people. And you find a way to make it up to that person another time, but rather than giving everybody kind of 80% of what you're capable of, it's better to keep yourself running at a hundred percent and service who you can mm. so that they get the best possible yes. version of yourself. And I find that a lot with my dogs, you know, like, so when I'm training with my dog, it's a, it's an awesome time to, I can do two things at once. I'm pretty good at it, especially with my own dogs now. Like I know what they need and I can be listening to something. I can be on the phone to someone and training my dog at the same time. And while I can be an effective dog trainer doing that, I can't give my dog a hundred percent. Right. And so he's getting not a great version of me. Whereas if I just allocated the time to talk to that person or listen to that thing or whatever, so that when I'm with him, I can actually give him the hundred percent, right? Like I'm totally with you. I'm not, mo- I'm not listening to something else. I'm not, ac- I'm not on the phone with someone else while I'm training you, you know, those sorts of things. Then he gets the best version and maybe he gets the best version of me less, but he gets the best version when he does, right? Quality. He never gets the, the 80%, the 50%. 
And that's what I really try and implement with my family as well, is that it's really hard when you work for yourself to distinguish between work time and not. Oh, it's such a, it's so difficult. Yeah. And, it, and I think. It's hard regardless, man. I'm telling you from somebody who runs businesses. Yeah. It's the same, you know, like it's. But you run businesses like as an employee in a business, it can be easy. And so like, as an example, one of my great friend, Matt, who's been on the show, he just employed one of our good friends to be his ops manager, right? He took him out of the army and was like, dude, you're like, he's given him, it's his first civilian job for this guy. And he's like, you are not to turn up early and you are not to be here late because mm. this is not your business, right? Like that is my responsibility. I have to do those things, but you, d- you don't walk through that door before nine o'clock. And I don't care if you're on the fucking phone with someone at five o'clock, you hang up and you walk out the door because we're not saving lives here. We're selling, right? And nothing that we do can't wait until tomorrow. All we can lose is money. We can't lose at like anyone's life or anything and like I that. And I think that is what a lot of people struggle with, that they feel like they have this responsibility for a life in their hands, yeah. right? There's so many points to this, but one point is that saying no, no matter what is necessary in life because you have worth too. Mm-hmm. And you are also worthy of thriving in life. And I don't think life sometimes pushes you and pulls you. That's normal. We have times where we have to show up, times where things are hectic. Things get difficult when they're chronic And I think that a lot of business structures are designed to chronically make you unwell. Mm. And you are responsible for that because most of the people are self-employed. So you you implemented that structure, right? Yeah. So I think that it's really, and this is where the shadow comes in, is understanding if you have a hard time managing your diary and you overcommit the whole time, why? Mm. Why do you do that? Like, what are you struggling with in disappointment? Is it feeling guilty? Is it that you feel that you can't set boundaries, that you can't hold a boundary? Like, I think setting and holding a boundary are two different topics. Yeah. And the reason why people struggle is it's very often what people have to be understanding is that if you have a customer and they have a hard time accepting that boundary and you struggle holding your boundary, it's not just that customer that you're struggling to hold a boundary with. It's your conditioning, it's your history, it's your previous learning experiences, your traumas, why you hold that. So in that moment, you're not just holding that boundary to that one person, everything else is triggered if you haven't had a look at it, Mm -hmm. right? So this is what shadow work is and this is why it's so important. If you have a problem with setting boundaries, you need to learn that because it's important in life, especially if you have a... You know, you want want to be long business. And for people like you, Glenn, and like running the whole business and people like me who I am the whole business, it can be so hard to distinguish between when I'm working and when I'm not. And that's one of the reasons like you're setting boundaries on that. For me, an emotional barrier to that or something that helped me, not emotional barrier, something that helped me was the clothes I wear. So when I'm training dogs, I wear my dog training clothes. These are the dirty clothes that I put on. I get covered in mud and they've got the pockets in the right spot to hold the food and all that kind of shit. And when I'm done, I take those off and I put on my normal clothes. And then when I'm doing Skype calls with people, like that's it, like that's my office time, right? So I put on my button up shirt and I sit in front of there and I'm like playing the character. But then what that has allowed me to do is to then kind of go, like I'm at work now and you get a hundred percent of me, this dog, I'm in my dog training clothes. I am at work, even though I'm still at my house or I'm in my garage or I'm, you know, at the park, whatever I can be at the, the park and I can be here as a dog trainer, or I can go home and get changed into like whatever I want to wear and go with my son and be there as the dad, not the dog trainer. And I can distinguish those times in my life. And it, every time I catch myself when I should be playing with my son, just answering a message, 
then he gets a shitty version of me. He gets like half the dad that he should have. And the client that I'm answering the message of gets half the trainer that they should be getting. And so I, it's taken me a hell of a long time and I'm not good at it still. Like I'd still have to catch myself and stop myself regularly is being like, no, right now, this is what I'm doing and you'll just have to wait. And that can be especially hard with my kid because then it can be like, Hey man, like this is work. I have to do this. And even though I could be kind of doing this and entertaining you at the same time, I'd rather say like, nah, man, I'm going up to the office and I'm going to be gone for 20 minutes, half an hour or whatever. I'm going to fix this issue instead of fixing it as a slow burn over the next three, four hours, right? I'm going to give it 100% of my effort and I'm going to leave my phone up there and I'm going to come down and I'm going to play Lego with you, right? Like, and that is fucking hard to do. It is. And I was just talking to Glenn the other week and he was on 24-7 because the weather was so crazy. Mm. So it was interesting just because these those strategies that you said, they're really cool, but sometimes they don't work. They wouldn't have helped you in your case when you were 24-7 on making sure the welfare of your kennel was Well, you got 80 dogs here by yourself and the rain didn't stop and it just kept you running. But I was thinking about what you were saying before, Pat, and there is a fundamental difference between a business owner and somebody who works for a business and the, the fundamental difference, and because I've played both sides of this and I know you have as well, the fundamental difference is when you own the business, you can't just walk away from no, it. that's right. Unless you're prepared to lose everything. Yeah. However, you know, in saying that, when I came to Sydney, when Narelle and I moved up here, I burned my ship when I came up here. For me, there was no retreat. Yeah. At the time I was 40, I thought, I've got to make a go of this. And everyone kept saying to me, the chips are against you. This is not going to work. This company is failing. You're going up to a dead end business. You'll be back in six months. You'll be back with your hat in your hands and this isn't going to go your way. But I thought, no, nah, fuck it. I'm, I'm going to make this work. There's no way I'm going back. I'm not going back to face those people. And so I was running from something. Absolutely. Mm. You know, like we've had these talks before with, with Matt and, yeah. and so forth. But still, the difference is... Well, look, to be honest, I've entrenched myself so deep here that for for me to pull out of this now would be like I live here on site at the business. Yeah. For me to leave this, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot to leave. So in in many ways, this is my business. I was just going to say, to me, you feel like the business, like you're the front of it. The, The owners of the company always tell everyone Glenn's the boss, like he is the business, you know, like they've never tried to park me in a position where they're just saying you work for me and you're just a minion of the company or anything. They've never made me or tried to make anybody else feel like that. And and that's not the ethos of what we tried to do either. However, I do have a financial investment in a way, but I don't have the burden of this all being mine, the banks bearing down on me, you know, like I've still got something to lose and everybody has, you know, and if you if you read books like, um, what was Johan Hari's book called? Lost Connections. Yes. Lost Connections. If you read that and, and it talks about, you know, the burden that people feel down the line when they interviewed people, it didn't matter whether they were a factory worker or, mm. you know, anybody has still got something to lose along the way and, you know, their emotional investment in something. And this is what I've had to educate the owners of the business here is that, yes, you're feeling stress and, yes, you're feeling pressure, especially when COVID happened and we were, you know, sure. at risk, but so did the people who were going to lose their jobs. Mm you know, and everybody along the line. So there is there is a multitude and multiple layers of the way people feel about all this, and it's tough. You it know? is very tough, and I, and I think that if you're listening to this and you have choices and you have wriggle room, I think it's really important that you also understand that health 
And well-being is something that has to be also worked for. You need time for that. It doesn't mm. just happen. Yeah. Like it's not a fluke when people are thriving. Like they might be having a different starting position at you, but essentially it's work. Like true self-care takes effort. Mm. And you need that energy. We ha I had this conversation with someone there like, oh my God, you won a lot of that. You had this property in the mountains. And yes, I was very blessed and very lucky. It was a seven-year plan. Mm. That was a long burn. Like there were many decisions made that led up to that. And it was a risk because it was so run down. Like, you know, we had blood all over the roof. <laughs> someone died in our house. It was empty for tears because it's so run down. Wow. Like we couldn't sleep in it because there was so much toxicity in the house. Like it was a massive project, but I got my dream home. I was willing to work really hard for it. Yeah. And it had consequences. So I think what is really important is, is that at the moment I'm not so impressed with society. I feel it's very ego-driven. And I feel like we're missing a scope of life or a plan of how to live life that you have energy left at the end of the day for your family, that you have a home that you have feel safe in, that you feel like you can look after yourself and your family, but also that you feel like you actually have energy left in your tank. Because I can see it in the mountains. In the mountains, people have a bit of a different mindset than here in the city. And people have space for each other. Mm. They help each other. They are generally not burned out energetically. They just have left, mm. something left to give, not just about themselves but also to pass on. And I think that's a big sign for burnout is when you just, when everything has to be efficient, everything has to work because you have not much left to give. And if something goes wrong, you feel it. You know, the best speech I ever got on avoiding burnout it's bizarre the wisdom that you find in strange places. It was when I was at the school as an instructor and my wing sergeant major. So like your sergeant major is the the highest ranked soldier, right? And it's sort of who manages your career and stuff. And this guy, he said to me, he goes, at the start of the year, you do your interview, right? And I'd known him for a long time, but he was my first time being, him being my boss. And he said, these are my order of priorities for you, right? He goes, the first and most important thing to me is you and your family, right? Mm. The second after that is you and your career, right? Like where you'll go in the army after this, because every job's kind of a stepping stone. And then your actual job, you and your actual job. So know that at the drop of a hat, if you have a family issue, all you have to do is tell me and you're out the door. I don't need to be convinced of anything. That's my number one priority That's for amazing. you. Right? Then don't worry about like where your career's headed because as the sergeant major, that's my job, right? So like, trust me, I have your career in mind. So don't be looking elsewhere. Trust me, I'm doing that for you. And then that left me to be really good at my job because I didn't have to worry about any of the other things that were going on. And did on. he do it? Like, did he Absolutely follow? did it. Yeah, he was so, fantastic. So that's the difference. That's the difference when someone says those things and someone actually doing them. Yeah. But like, that's the issue of compounding stress. And that's what we find as small business owners in the dog training space is that like, you're managing all those things at once, right? And when you have an employer, like he's essentially my employer, then says like, at a moment's notice, you can fucking drop everything here and go out the door. We'll fix that. We'll find someone. We'll get someone else in. It means that you're compelled to do it later. So like if a family problem is unfolding earlier, like with a, with a, a different boss, you might then say like, hey, this is potentially happening. I need to prime you for letting me go because, you know, I've got family issues going on and you would take more time off quicker and you would create bigger problems. But because I knew with him, like I could be – doing anything and say, Hey, I've got a family problem. He'd be like, get out, go. 
right, straight away, it meant that I could really leave things to the last minute, like, or, or, or I didn't have to intervene early in things that didn't need intervening in. And I, like, that was for me the, the best advice I ever got on burnout and was that, that like you set yourself a structure whereby you can be allowed to do the things you need to do. But it's not do. just a structure that serves him and you. It's a community, yeah, that's right. family-focused structure. Yeah, totally. And not many businesses have that. No, but it was interesting because I remember thinking, and you know, you gave everyone the same speech. It, I wasn't special. And I remember thinking, man, there's people that take advantage of this, right? Like, of course there would be. But what it meant is like certainly in my case meant that I was so much better at my job. Like, because he just left me to actually do my job by telling me that that was my actual job was the least in the priorities of things that were important. It left me to be really, really good at it, knowing that everything else was taken care of. And I also believe, like, I can see it in our neighborhood. We are cut off from a lot of things. So we rely on ourselves. Like when we have a big storm, no one fixes our energy. We know we have for weeks, no electricity. Wow. Well, when, when a tree falls on the road, no one's coming to take that off. We do it, right? So, but what that means is like my neighbor had, very unfortunate, a possum got into his power supply and he was the only house in the neighborhood not having electricity for a few days. So we ran our um, electrical cord to his home. So he's like, oh my God, that was amazing. Our food didn't die in the fridge. I'm like, no worries. Now, every time he knows how he can help me out, he just does it. Mm. So he pays forward. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I think that, if you're in a place and you're listening and you feel like you want to make changes, A, ask yourself, is this environment I'm in actually catering to these changes? Like, is it a healthy enough environment that it works? Mm. If that's not possible, then you need to look at that. And then self-care starts. But a healthy environment needs to acknowledge that a person needs time and space to work on themselves. Like I had that with the veterinary industry. There was very often people were told you need to manage this or take some time off. You feel like, you know, you're tired. They didn't have the means to take time off. So, mm. you know, you need to help people help themselves. So I was wondering, do you guys want to talk a little bit more about specific about shadow work or do we just want to go along the burnout road or what are we doing? Let's go to shadow work. I'm yeah, interested we haven't talk, we've talked about burnout in other episodes. Let's talk yeah. about, yeah. yeah, I'm interested cool. to hear what this is all about. Yeah, and if you're listening, if my Reconnect With Your Power program is about burnout and I do one-on-one or group. But anyway, so shadow work is a coaching tool to me. I love that it's very often entry into big, deeper things. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky because I'm a, I'm a coach, but also I'm a clinical psychologist, so I can go all the way. <laughs> I would let people know if it goes from coaching into deeper waters, but I love how people can help themselves with shadow work. Like shadow work is one of those amazing things that once you understand it, you got it. Mm-hmm. Like you are your own master. And I love that in coaching that people are healing themselves. They're self-healers essentially, right? I feel like we have been a bit taken away or uh, maybe just lost a little bit our own intuition and wisdom that we can heal ourselves to a big degree. Fair enough, maybe, maybe need input. But I do believe we have a lot of power over our own well-being. And if you're a doctor, and I think that's what you always have to keep in mind, that you are just a facilitator. The actual change comes from the dog owner and the dog. Mm -hmm. I think that removes pressure already. Like once I understood as a psychologist and coach or a counselor or healer or whatever you are, no, you're not the person doing that. You're just facilitating. feels different. Mm. It's a very different responsibility. I think that statement that goes around, and I don't know who the original author is that said only care as much as your client does, that's been very helpful to a lot of people to – 
get them out of the mindset that they have to over deliver an abundance of information that the client is not going to use. Like it doesn't mean don't care. It just means that work to the level that they're capable of caring to and working to. I don't know if that's in comparison to what we're talking about here, but I find that that statement has helped a lot of people overcome the irrational fear that they're facing when they're going to work with people and thinking, how much information do I have to have? How much do I have to give them? Whereas when they go in and assess the situation, they find the client wants this. This is what they're capable of understanding. This is the metric which they can measure it out and then say, okay, that's what I'll do today. Like I had a game plan of giving them this much, but it's way too much. You know, whereas if I shorten that back to successful increments, then we can work towards something cooperative that's going to help them, help the dog, and everybody walks away winning yes. in that situation. Yes, I think it's – I do need to be very often taught that the younger you are in your career, the more prepared you are. The yeah. more, and that has its benefits. But I do believe that very often the key thing of being a good teacher or counsellor is that you're present, that you pick up what's happening in the room and mm. you have enough – and you would have enough skills to pick that up. And if you don't, you just says, I don't know. You're allowed to say, I don't know, let me get back to you. You don't have to have everything figured out. But I do believe that you can feel from a person how fast they can take information in or how little. Or Some people are just so over flooded with all the things happening so that I could talk a whole episode about that. I like that though. I think that that's sage advice to say, I don't know, but I'll, I'll find out and get back yes, to you. Yes, always, yeah. always, always. And I think that removes the pressure from you, makes you look like a professional, doesn't make you look like your ego is blown out because you actually go like, I don't know. I'd much rather have you say, I don't know, than faking it. Mm. It's amazing the the level of respect you get back from people for doing that as well. Like there is so much appreciation when somebody goes, I don't know, I'm not sure. Not a subject matter I'm familiar with, but I can try and find out for you or network you with somebody that does know. People love it. You know, they like do. you see them, you see them giving so much praise to people for saying, you know, like I really respect them for doing that. Like Authenticity. 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 Yep. That's one of the biggest issues I think we face in our industry is people who speak in absolutes about things that are not absolutely true. Mm. And so yeah. like No, no, that <laughs> never happens, yeah. Mr. Patrick Stewart. But on every you know, on every aspect of dog training, we find people that are saying like, no, this is the way it is. And mm. it's like, hey man, you can't like there are certain things we can say for sure. There's we know this. This is a fact, right? There's mm. certain things you can do that, but there's so many places I see people just like, this is cut and dry, this is black and white, and it's like, oh, man, it is not. Do you think people – sorry to hijack this away, Bertie, for a second, but do you think people feel that there is a public pressure to do that, like in order to compete with what's going on out there, they suddenly feel that they have to invent this pseudo-self – that is more, far more informed than everybody else, that they're an oracle of the community. Yeah, I think for sure that some people's imprinting is that I need to take the voice of authority and mm. the voice of authority can never be doubted. And so even if I have doubts myself about whether this will work, I have to present it in a fashion with which you cannot doubt it because mm. the more uh, committed you are to like, yeah, that it works, then the more likely you are to comply and for some people, that's the case, right? Some people want to hear it that way. Um, but for me, it doesn't gel, especially because it's important to me to be able to change my mind at the drop of a hat. And so when you're saying like, this absolutely is the way, if a new piece of information arrives, you now have to 
explained this whole new thing has arrived and that radically changes blah 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 and it's a lot more work to try and convince the person otherwise whereas if i say hey this should work and then when it's beginning not to because i find a new thing then i can say oh let's try this and i don't have to i don't have to start from scratch again trying to convince you i've already set you up for that it should but it may not but that is you tailoring the plan to the dog yeah this is uh, you know and this is to me in our industry that would be the golden standard we tailor it to you Mm. And I believe that I'm very glad that we were really trained to not talk in absolutes and make promises. Mm. And I think it gives you freedom. Like you, it just removes so much pressure to know everything, right? And, yeah, I'm, I'm having a bit of a problem. If I look at Facebook, this works 100% guarantee. I'm like, huh, all right. My respect for you just dropped a tiny bit. Sorry, but yeah. <laughs> like- I'm learning these days to love the network rather than the individual. That's where my interest is going. Is that when I'm involved in a network of learned people, like I'm loving the conversation of the network mm-hmm. and how the network all ties in with each other. Like I appreciate everything that the individual is bringing but then connects to the network to say, okay, that's me over. Now this is your specialty. What do you think? And that's yeah, that's what I'm – I love that. I love that that sense of community where you're listening to, you know, like an informed group of people. Interesting that Pat and I were talking about this the other day that we were saying that there's certain apps that <laughs> <laughs> there was – Well, Just say it. we were listening to some people speaking on Clubhouse and they were speaking with – authority on subject matter that they were drowning in. And it's interesting that when real industry professionals arrive, those people all of a sudden start disappearing from the conversation. Like it's more about the me rather than the us. Like they don't really want to include everybody. They want the mystical apparition of I'm the oracle, come to me. But when other people who really are community oracles appear in that realm, all of a sudden they realize, holy shit, suddenly I'm not the guy anymore and I can't answer the, you know, like my mystique and my kind of like being Matahari, you know, like all of the mystique that I've built around my presence has now vanished and I'm, I, I've got nothing to really present anymore. It was interesting for us as a community thing to watch those people just slowly drift away and never to be seen again. Yeah. It's the fictional path to success is leads to assurance, right? So mm. like if you're pretending that you are something – and you're not, you're not that, but you're telling people that you are, the fictional path that you took has to be very, the way you deliver that has to be with assertion that that's the path because Mm. it's nonsense. It didn't really happen. So you can't afford for deviation from it, right? And because if you've decided like this is the path to me as a dog trainer that made $2 million a year, Mm. you have to stick to that story. You have to present the story and this is how it happened, right? Whereas if you really did become a dog trainer that made however much money, you go, well, I think this is what helped, you know, because I ran a couple of different strategies at one time and this one seemed to be like, you know, this, this, this probably was a contributing factor. I got lucky on this day, Mm. you know, like something for, you know, like there's all these variables Mm. when it's true. And when you look back at a true story with retrospect, you're like, and you get true stories wrong all the time because you're like, well, I don't know what caused that, you know, like in one day I might be feeling like there was a, there was a tipping point and then maybe I find out some new information. I go, oh, maybe that wasn't the tipping point. Maybe that wasn't what led to this success that I've encountered. Right. So when the success is real, the story can change a little bit because you're not so sure of it. That's okay. 
That's right. That, that's but that's totally normal, right? That's because all, the, all about um, rediscovering that you can be educated in, yeah. in different things and starting to become more aware. Yeah, and so when you hear you, you certainly hear people who are really successful, they'll talk about, oh, you know, I had all these influences, and you know, I think I drew from this, and there's like there's doubt in the story because mm. you can never be sure, right? Yep. But when it's fiction, you can be as sure as you like because you wrote it, yep. <laughs> like you imagined it, mm. so you can just make this bullshit up and you can stick to that story like as hardcore because it's a script you wrote, right? There's no outside influences on a script that you wrote. So, like, that's where you see people who are like, no, this is the way and this is how I did it and it's a guaranteed path to success. I usually then say, like, hmm, that's probably not real success, right? Because, like, no one can be so sure about the steps to these kinds of things. So, are you basically getting back to the point about authenticity again? (laughs) (laughs) How important that can be. Mm. (laughs) Anyway, carry on. (laughs) (laughs) Minute, do you do a carry on? I'm like, was I carrying anything? Do your job, Bertie. <laughs> I know, Shadow. put it back together, Bertie. Shadow work. Shadow work. Uh, oh, I just like being here. I'm just laughing from my belly. It's so nice being here. <laughs> it's so nice. Well, it's funny when you came here the other night for dinner with Dan that you just said, oh, I'm home. Yeah, I am home here. All right. So coming back to shadow work, mm. little recap. Um, let, let me interject on shadow work. Okay, just don't pull yeah. me. <laughs> so how much of shadow work within what you're teaching is that sort of confronting the ugly sides of yourself and rather than sort of burying them, it's like accepting them and working with them and integrating them. Is that a part of it or am I on a different kind of shadow work? No, that could be part of it. So. Just give me five minutes and tell you about it. (laughs) The first step, let's set it up. So shadow work is everything that maybe has been neglected or rejected or not included. A lot of it comes back to the psychiatrist Carl Jung from Switzerland. And I think the biggest and most important part in shadow work is that you treat your shadow with kindness. And gentleness. It's like the black wolf, right? So we see that as an asset. Like there is a, a massive amount of value in it. It's like a gem. It's really beautiful. And I think it's just our society has taught us that it's scary or that we shouldn't look at it. But there is hidden strength in there. You have developed those assets out of need most of the time. And they are beautiful parts of you. They just maybe need to be expressed in a different way. They're misunderstood very often. Before, I wanted to say that I do a lot of meditation. And what I'm doing a lot of meditation is visualizing myself as a vulnerable child. And and my shadow work is very often coming through that inner vulnerable child because I have a massive inner critic. I can be so hard on myself. But when I visualize it as something that I like, that I care, whether it's a photo or um an item, or you could be yourself, or it could be something else, you're softer towards it. So the last thing you want with your shadow is, is that you're demanding, criticizing, or punitive, or guilt-tripping. That's not the way to go. Mm. Okay? So so you have to treat that part in you as something valuable but fragile, something that needs to be incorporated and loved and managed, but not with fear and not with hate and not with anxiety. Does that make sense? Mm. All right. The other part is, so shadow work will never end in your life. It comes and goes in waves. Sometimes healing happens in layers, like maybe five years ago I worked on a topic and now I'm ready for the next layer. So so this is not something that we tick off. It just happens. And just go with the flow. If you take a break, that's cool. Just come back to it. 
It's also really important that if you feel like your shadow work triggers something bigger of an emotion, like you feel like there's some trauma there, feel free to get help. You know, like this is more as a personal development, how I'm running it right now. But if you feel like there's something more, feel free to get help. Like, you know, it's, it's always good to get support in those things. And with shadow work, you sometimes don't know how deep you go. So it's important that you listen to yourself, that you give yourself the best chances, that you know yourself, that you maybe talk to someone. Because when I started shadow work, it brought up this wave of things and it was super healing. It was very important for my development, but I was glad I could talk to people about it. I had friends to talk about it, I had friends about it. And I also sometimes just saw a therapist just to help me out. You can do them as much on your own as you want, but also feel free to get help. Collaborative network Mm. is good. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that I love about the shadow is that we appreciate the gifts in it. So I'm coming from it not as something shameful. We're coming it from a perspective of there's a hidden treasure, there's a gem in it. And um, if you want, I can email you a little workbook about it. Just send me an email to hello at birdyoshi.com or check out my webpage birdyoshi.com and there's a little workbook that you can play with. So in summary, the shadow holds all the parts of ourselves that we have tried to deny, hide, or have learned to reject. And that could be maybe parts that deal with pain, anger, desire, pride, jealousy, hate. And this rejection basically means it came out of fear of judgment, abandonment, criticism, and it just created this dark roar in us. And we put it in a cage and shoved it far away. But the longer you look away, the more these type of Um, aspects become an entity like a little animal like a wild animal and the more you ignore it and the more you try to work around it the louder it starts to roar Mm -hmm. and what you have to understand is that's a beautiful animal with just wants to be seen and heard there's nothing to be scared about you actually will give yourself a lot of freedom if you look at it and if you see my workbook i have um oh is it a leopard black and white spots Mm -hmm. yeah it's a leopard because to me a leopard has both shadow sides in it like both and also Luna is very black and white which I love about her but the idea is that to be whole a candle can only shine in the darkness you need both sides so I have a little exercise here um and I was wondering if you guys want to join it it's a it's like a visualization exercise and you could play with me mm-hmm. want to do it let's do it sure. okay so it's called Exploring Your Castle, and it is from the book Love and Awakening by John Wellwood, and I got it out of the book from Debbie Ford in The Dark Side of the Light Chaser. It's not my own. Feel free to read up on it. It's a great book, The Dark Side of the Light Chaser. And if you do this visualization exercise, just get comfy, find a spot where maybe for five minutes you're not interrupted. Do not do this when you're driving. This is something you do when you're at home or in a private room. This is when you're chilled, when you're allowed to let go of your concentration. And You can close your eyes or you can leave them open. It's up to you. So, boys, get comfy. I'm going to close my eyes. Okay. So I want you to imagine that you're being a magnificent castle with long hallways and thousands of rooms. Every room in the castle is perfect and possesses a special gift. Each room represents a different aspect of yourself and is an integral part of the entire perfect castle. As a child, you explored every inch of your castle without shame or judgment. Fearlessly, you searched every room for its jewels and its mystery. Lovingly, you embraced every room, whether it was a closet, a bedroom, a bathroom, or a cellar. Each and every room was unique. 
Your castle was full of light, love and wonder. Then, one day, someone came to your castle and told you that one of your rooms was imperfect, that surely it didn't belong in your castle. They suggested that if you wanted to have a perfect castle, you should close and lock the door to this room. Since you wanted love and acceptance, you quickly closed off that room. As time went by, more and more people came to your castle. They all gave you their opinions of the rooms, which ones they liked and which ones they didn't. And slowly, you shut one door after another. Your marvellous rooms were being closed off, taken out of the light and put into the dark. A cycle had begun. From that time on, you closed more and more doors for all kinds of reasons. You closed doors because you were afraid or you thought the rooms were too bold. You closed doors to rooms that were too conservative. You closed doors because other castles you saw did not have rooms like yours. You closed doors because your family, leaders, coaches told you to stay away from certain rooms. You closed any door that did not fit into society's standards of your own ideal. The days were gone when your castle seemed endless and your future seemed exciting and bright. You no longer cared for every room with the same love and admiration. Rooms you were once proud of, you now will to disappear. You tried to figure out ways to get rid of these rooms, but they were part of the structure of your castle. Now that you had shut the door to whatever room you didn't like, time went by until one day you just forgot that that room altogether existed. At first, you didn't realize what you were doing. It just became a habit. With everyone giving you different messages about what a magnificent what a magnificent castle should look like, it became much easier to listen to them than to trust your inner voice, the one that loved your entire castle. Shutting off these rooms actually started to make you feel safe. Soon, you found yourself living in just a few small rooms. You had learned how to shut off life and became comfortable doing it. Many of us also locked away so many rooms that we forgot we ever were in a castle. We began to believe we were just a small, two-bedroom house in need of repairs. Now, imagine your castle as the place where you house all of who you are, the good and the bad, and that every aspect that exists on the planet exists within you. One of your rooms is love, one is courage, one is elegance, and another is grace. There are endless numbers of rooms, Creativity, honesty, integrity, health, assertiveness, sexiness, power, hatred, greed, frigidity, laziness, arrogance, sickness, and evil rooms are in your castle, all of them. Each room is an essential part of the structure, and each room has an opposite somewhere in your castle. Fortunately, we are never satisfied being less than what we were capable of being. Our discontent with ourselves motivates us in our search for all the lost rooms of our castle. We can only find a key to our uniqueness by opening all the rooms in our castle. So, the castle is a metaphor to help you grasp the enormity of who you are. 
We each possess this sacred place inside ourselves. It is easily accessed if we are ready and willing to see the totality of who we are. Most of us are scared of what we will find behind these doors to these rooms. So instead of setting out of an adventure to find our hidden selves, full of excitement and wonder, we keep pretending rooms don't exist. The cycle continues. But if you truly desire to change the direction of your life, you must go into your castle and slowly open each and every door. You must explore your internal universe and take back all that you have disowned. Only in the presence of your entire self can you appreciate your magnificence and enjoy the totality of your uniqueness of your life. That's where you live. That's love. That's vitality. Take a moment just to let it sink in. Maybe just take a couple of deep breaths and just appreciate the experience for however it was. No need to label it. Just accept it. And then slowly start feeling your feet again. Gently start moving around wherever you're sitting. And whenever you're ready, you can open your eyes. It's a deep one. Mm. Mm. So when I did that exercise, I just started crying. It was Because to me, there was like all these rooms that as a kid were not acceptable. In just in the area that I grew up, like I was very tomboyish, not very grace-like. <laughs> so you know just all of a sudden you realize how many boundaries they were put in place and how many things you locked away or that you know I come from a strong line of very submissive women except my mom is not very submissive at all but very caring so setting boundaries was always told no and those things so how was it for you it's the right words the honesty <laughs> yeah so like it doesn't really relate to my I don't whenever I think about that kind of thing. Like I don't go to my childhood at all. I had amazing childhood, but I have fantastic parents. Not to sort of brag, but I do. And so everything that relates to, you know, closing of rooms or whatever has really been done myself and by society. Totally. Like I so can yeah. relate. Yes. I had, you know, like this perfect upbringing really. That's beautiful. And so for me, it's a lot of, when I think about that kind of stuff, I think about, and I've done a lot of this kind of work, right? Like this is not mm. my first day, you know that. But I think about the things that you kind of end up trying to play a character. And for me, that was, you know, the last few years, especially I've been able to really be whoever I want to be rather than the ex-army guy or, you know, that there's an image of, like for me, it was really a lot to do with like compassion and humility and that kind of stuff, which really wasn't a part of my life at all. I was just going to say, I think if he's done that exercise maybe four years ago, it would have been very different. Yeah, totally, totally. It would have been, like I think you've just done so much work Yeah, that now this castle is very open. Yeah, and I don't think of it as a castle, but like for me, I just sort of represent it as a different thing. But like I didn't have the capacity for that. Like I really didn't at all and thought that I didn't rather than just had stopped. Do you mean a capacity for compassion and yeah. those things? Yeah. yeah. And a lot of those sort of emotions, like I was just like, I was very goal orientated and really, I was a very different person. Yeah. We, um, we, I, I think we're friends now. Yeah. We, <laughs> but you know all the work that I've done to change that. Yes. And so that for me, but it, it doesn't make me think about it as a kid at all because as a kid, like if we to stick with that castle metaphor, like I had the whole castle, it was no, no problem. But like everything that I did was really myself, like I imposed closing doors on those sorts of things as myself. And, and in opening them over the last few years, like I've absolutely been the happiest I've ever been. And, and really um, like rather than – 
reacting and sort of going, well, this is how I feel about that, like really investigating, like how do I feel about that and why? Yeah, and I think that's shadow work essentially is if something triggers you in your life, you you, you don't go like, that's you. You go like, why is that triggering in me? Mm. Like if a person drives you crazy, you look for the quality in yourself and you go like, so if I identify I feel like this person is greedy, then I look at my own greed and I'm like, where is this coming from? Mm. How have I worked with this? Is this touching something? So the idea with shadow work is that you go through life and you look for triggers, teachers, that teachers, and you go like, what is it that, that stings me, that annoys me? And then you look for that quality in yourself and you mm. go like, have I exposed this or have I had this? And do I have to come to peace with this? Like, for example, I'm such an advocate for authenticity, but that comes from background of not being authentic you know like you if i look at people who really get to me they're unauthentic people and then i'm like why do you drive me mad i'm like oh because you have the ability to not be authentic when people talk about authenticity it's so easy to tune out and just be like oh fucking buzzword right like but it's so important and it means that when you like for me anyway means that when you don't gel with someone you can just be like oh we're not meant to be because like I'm not changing who I am and and hopefully you're not either. And we can just be like, I bid you a day, sir. Goodbye. It just makes life so much easier when if you're being inauthentic or if someone else is, then you can try a different character, right? And it's like, oh, we'll see how we go with this one. And that's yucky. And that's what I've done for many years. Yeah. Mm. Right? Like like I can I'm very good at code switching. Yeah. I've been trained to please other people mm-hmm. professionally. So, so, so <laughs> glad you threw that in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, as it's like, I, I don't think so, but as a, it depends who's teaching you, but you know, yeah. Like the reason we have so much ethics training is because psychologists could be the biggest manipulator ever. Mm-hmm. We have to have a code of ethics. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, so shadow work is that when you, when you don't want to do this exercise, you want to go through life, you go like, what's getting to me? What triggers to me? What person got to me last year? What incidences got to me? And you bring it down to these qualities that you didn't like. And then you go like, what about these qualities in me? Can I come to peace with them? And then, for example, I have this one person, she, they drive me mad. And I had to really sit down and, and you, I did um, a Buddhist meta meditation where you send them love. And I couldn't. I was too stubborn. I'm like, nah. <laughs> so mm. I had to work on that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's just it's just a tool. Shadow work is just a tool. What about you, Glenn? As I said before, I, I don't meditate enough. I started down the path of meditation quite some time ago and I was using that Muse device to help mm. me do it. Yeah. And it was quite successful. Like I was achieving some good results with it. I was, you know, my sleep was much better. My health was better. It was actually helping me lose weight. The whole gamut, everything that I was trying to achieve. And that's why I really have to get back to it. I have to make that time to do it. But just when you were going through that sort of thing, one of the subject matters that's coming up a lot in my life at the moment is I've got a family member who's, and she's very elderly, but as a human being, she was like a second mother to me Mm -hmm. and very caring, very loving, extremely amazing person. Like you could literally sit down next to her and not realize that you're sitting next to one of the best people ever on earth. Mm. She always puts everybody else first. She's just one of the most wonderful human beings that you could ever meet. Yet because she's elderly, she's in a elderly home at the moment. I talk to her. I make a, a habit of talking to her, not because I have to, because I want to, I love her dearly. But 
The problem for me is that I see other people in her life, they don't see her as a human being anymore. They see her as an obstacle to get what she's got. And that infuriates me. And it's taking up a lot of my headspace at the moment. You know, like I'm so overwhelmed with anger about this because they don't see the wonderful human that she is. They see what she can be to them once she's gone. And for some reason (laughs) that kept... That okay, that so, stirred that up in me when I was thinking about that. So it's I'm I'm very similar to you. I very often see that in other people. Mm. But then shadow work will be now going like that theme. How does this apply to you? The same feel, and you don't have to talk about it. Like you know, we, we, this is not a therapy session, kind of is. But, <laughs> but, but 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 the idea of shadow work is if you see something towards others that angers you or triggers something, then you go for like that theme. How is it about me? Like you go the other way. And I get that because there are times where I don't look at the person as the human or think about some of the wonderful qualities that they have, but I think about them as the object of connecting to something that I need at the time. And I understand that. And, you know, I think that's a Pat was talking about it before. He says, you know, those inauthentic people, they make you feel yuck, you know, like, and we were talking about that in the kitchen Mm. before we did this and you can feel yourself coated in their grime, Mm. you know, and and the fact that you have to become, it's almost like you slip into a serpent skin to actually have to become that model of, you know, what you need to be to get what you need at the time. And then you can feel it and you go, oh, that feels so repulsive, you know, like it's almost like you shudder. You can feel the repugnant nature of it. But I can see that in myself because I have to do that sometimes in order to get things. And I think, oh, you you grub, you know, like that you had to migrate into that. I just don't know. I I understand how people can do it when they need to do things like business-wise and so forth. I can understand that. It's not that I'm saying it's it's a good thing or I'm saying it's great, you know, thumbs up. But when people are family to each other, that person meant something to you. They were a being, they were something, and then suddenly they're nothing to them. Literally, all you are is a wall that they're waiting for you to crumble over so they can get what's on the other side of the wall. That breaks my heart. It yeah, really that does. that is very hard. That is very hard. And I think, you know, this is this is one of those examples that could kick off so many other things, mm. right? But I do believe that, so the reason why shadow work is maybe a bit unpleasant at the beginning is but also you see your strength, you know. Like, for example, I I know that I'm aware of my shadow side, so I make clear to myself that I bring my best version forward because I know I'm capable of other things. But that also gives me then confidence of knowing, like, no, I know my weaknesses. I'm not avoiding them. I'm looking at them. So I choose who I am, which makes me feel like I'm – control might be not the word, but I have a say in my life. Mm. I'm driving my life instead of just letting things happen. And I believe that my shadow side was developed out of a need. Like I, every, every human I worked, when they had a trait in them, it usually was born out of a need or that was reinforced or praised or got their needs met. Like we, we operate from a, from a sense of you're innocent. Now you have awareness of it. What are you going to do with it now? I think one of the things, Bertie, is – I'm talking from my own experience, but I think that as you age and you're with your thoughts more, because when you're younger, you've got a lot to think about. You know, there's so many things. What am I going to do? What's my career? Am I going to get married? Am I going to have kids? Am I going to do this? I'm going to do that. And as you get older and you're more settled with your thoughts and so forth, you start thinking about things like becoming more self-aware, 
I guess not everybody does, but a lot of people that I've spoken to in my circle, I think 40 is, seems to be a magic age with people when they sort of get to that age and people can experience before. But when they sort of get to that age, they start thinking about life more meaningfully. You know, they start investing time to self-reflect in, whereas, I mean, my 30s were so fucking turbulent. I was just so separated from everything. Like, my thoughts were sporadic and all over the place, whereas now it's not to say that every day they're amazing and I'm having these inequalities all the time, but I'm spending more time with people that are more learned, they're more thoughtful, they're more reflective on things, and in turn, I think that I find that inner peace in myself when I'm with those type of people, like I'm saying, I still have days like oh, the, the so- last couple of weeks were very turbulent, but I'm still becoming, thanks to the people that I'm surrounding myself with, I'm still becoming more self-aware of that and being able to manage that and cope with that better. And that's the whole thing. It's a journey, right? Like mm. that, it's not an absolute to reach. It's just that you have awareness what you're doing. And if, so, for instance, I very often still, my body still presents me with the choices that I do not want to act on Mm. but they still pop up but i catch them but i don't act on them like people know that i teach what i struggle with so so boundary setting massive problem i'm very good professionally but with people who are close in my heart it's very different story Mm. so so i think what i encourage you to do is don't be everything that you're scared of looking at there's a treasure there and it's beautiful and it only can make you whole. Like like if you feel like you're a bit of a zombie walking through life or you feel numb or you're not feeling not sure what your purpose is, that's an easy way to look at it. And you can you're in charge. You can go as deep or as light as you want. You can get help or you can't get help. Your dog might teach you a thing or two about your shadow. Um, but that's it. But that's I think Part of self-care is and this is just a tool. Shadow work is just a tool. There are lots of other tools. I'm just talking about a tool I like is a great way to go like, well, who am I? Because mm. you want to be able to steer your life. You want to know who you are. Like I, I look at two very strong men and they're very loving, peaceful men, but they also make choices to be loving and peaceful. It's a choice very often how we show up. I think the really hard part about that is like when you're trying to define yourself, it is certainly for a long time I was trying to apply other people's or societal definitions of like Mm. a person onto yourself and it just doesn't work that way. Like an example say would be politics, right? Like someone might say like, are you a left or right leaning person? And like on some issues I'm as extreme left wing lunatic and on other issues I'm a a right wing fanatic. And so like I don't fit the box, right? And like on everything I feel sort of individually about things. And I think everybody's probably like that. Like there's nobody that just when you really know yourself and you investigate yourself, there's nobody that aligns perfectly with anybody else really. Like you're an individual, you have your own experiences. And so a big part for me in this space has been accepting that and just going like, oh, there isn't a box for me. Like I can, I can get, I can move around. I can hang out and I can talk to you about this and really feel it. And then I can talk to other, someone else about the opposite and really feel but it. But isn't that the cue to life? That yeah, we, none I think it of is. Us, none of us are in a box. And that in the end, I think I'm vibing and gelling with people who have the same rules of engagement. Mm. Like I don't need to be like you, but we engage in the same form. We respect each other. We show kindness and love in the same way. And I very often get feedback because people hear me saying I love you a lot to people. I'm very open. I 
I, you know, like I, I can scream to Glenn of the car park, hey, I love you. And that is because to me, love is, I want to see you evolve. I want to be part of your journey. I want to see what it is. That doesn't mean we need to be on the same journey. And it doesn't mean that you and I are twins, but I just love you and love who you stand for and how you apply life and how you want to tackle life. Mm. Loving people is not weird or, and that's, again, it's a societal pressure that gets put on people. I mean, for example, Dave, who, you know, I work for the Levy family. Like Dave tells me every single day that he loves me. Like we express that we to each other because we do. We lo- we love each other. You know, he's he is, and, and so is Pat. You know, like they're the brothers that I never, I always yearn for, and never really had in life. They feel like family to me, like a part of my my brotherhood. Um, and I always wanted brothers and it's not to say that I'm unhappy with my sister, but I wanted brothers and, and I've, I find that I've got a brotherhood now. I've got people that I do feel a connection with that I do feel have similar interests to me and that we can have open and loving relationships and, or discussions more so, you know, like I don't feel like I have to pretend to fit in with what Pat wants to do or I have to fit in with what Dave wants to do. You can disagree in a good relationship. That's right. And that's the good thing about it is Dave's really into rugby and I don't get it. I don't – and I don't have to pretend – Sports ball, yay. (laughs) (laughs) But but as a kid I had to to pretend that I like cricket and football when I really didn't and because I felt like I'm so different than everybody else. Like I must be a weirdo because I don't really like – doing these things. I could play them and I was reasonably good at them. And anything that I put my my mind to, I could sort of, you know, I could get through it, but I really didn't like it. But I felt like I had to conform to have friends. Like you said, you find people that you vibe with. And also I, if people do love those things, I respect them for that. But I just don't have to be involved in it or have to be a part of that party anymore. That's it. Like I think in the end, it's just that you Go like you do you, and that's, that's cool. Right. I've yes. watched your journey. I'm, I'm going to celebrate with you. Like, mm. but yeah. So, sorry on that. Telling people you love them, that I think where a lot of people's opposition to that is, and I've only come to understand this recently, and I could still be wrong about it, is that when you tell someone that, depending on your frame of what love is and whether you need it back, you give that person a lot of power over you. And that's what a lot of people I think are very concerned about is like, if I say to someone, even if you do, if you say like, Hey, I love you, that means that you now have a power of me. Cause it's kind of true that they, they, they kind of do. Right. But then when you frame love kind of differently, it can be like, I don't need anything from you in order to love you. That's like, it. So, it's, yeah. it's unconditional. Like, yeah. So like, when you can get think- to that place, then it's fine. Right. But that's really a very difficult place to get to. Most people are like, I, If I say that, yeah, now I need you to feel the same way. Or even if you don't, like now you know that I do, you have a power over me that you could use against me and nothing, you know, and then it gets even deeper because then you go like, and this person that I love now has, if they don't, they have a a manipulative power over me from which it will be very difficult for me to escape. Yeah. But only if you allow them to, and, and, and getting to a point where you can just go like, Hey man, I love you. But like, I I don't don't need anything. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Whether you love me back or what you do from here, it's not mm. going to change how I feel. That's a difficult place to get to. And it was, I think I told you once about my whole Instagram revelation thing that like, I still haven't figured out how to explain it properly, but like that for me was a, a moment where I was like, oh, that's how you can treat everybody. Have I told you about that? I'm sure I have. 
Pat, sometimes you and I have a beer in our hands. Sometimes, sometimes it's late and I'm really tired. Yeah. For me, I had this revelation and if this doesn't make sense, I still haven't figured out a way to explain it properly. But for people who have two Instagram accounts, right, this is what blew my mind. And they talk about like, you know, every, interconnectedness of everybody and blah, blah, blah. And you do meditation courses or you listen to people speak. That's always a big part of it. And I could never get that until one day I was, I have two Instagram accounts. Well, I have three, including the Canon Paradigm one, right? And a lot of business people do. So a lot of people can relate to this in that you have your personal one, which for me is like Remy. So I have Remco the dog on Instagram and I have Operant Canine. And of course you follow your own accounts, right? So you post something and one day you're scrolling through the feed from the other one. So one day I'm on Operant Canine and I'm looking through the things, I'm looking at other people's lives and then I Remy's post comes up and it's a picture that I posted earlier, but it's in my feed because right now I'm a different character. I'm operant canine, right? And I saw it and I was like, that's me, (laughs) right? Like I'm viewing myself through a whole different lens. Yes. And I was like, you know, of course you like your own post then, right? And you're like, oh, look how good I'm doing in life, right? But then I was like, oh, shit everybody could be me, right? So then you start looking and interacting with all these posts as like, that's a different version of me. Yes. And so that's where the interconnectedness comes now. from. No, it, I do remember right? that. And I'm still not sure it really makes sense. And if you don't have two Instagram accounts, it's totally unrelatable. No, I think it's a great example to know that we have more in common that separates apart. Yeah. And that essentially, I don't know if that relates, but to me, life got a lot easier in giving me guidelines how I want to interact. If I see someone, I'm like, you're a version of me. Somewhere yeah. in my life, I was you. There's a way for me to be in your shoes. Like yes. if I had walked the same path, like if and if the genetic dice had been rolled the same way yeah. and my life experience had been the same, I would have made that exact same decision. Yes. And when you see that, like you see a different version of yourself and like, you know, on his, I'm posting, well, uh, my, my posting strategy has gone to shit, but like on my business page, it used to be very specific things. And then it would be more Remy just hanging out on his own Instagram. And so you say like, Oh, look, that's me, but a really different version of me. That's me pretending to be one thing. And right now I'm pretending to be another, but actually I'm the combination of both. Then you can go like, Oh, given the set of circumstances that everybody, every other post in this feed if I were in their shoes, if I rolled the same genetic dice and I'd lived the same life, I would have made that same post. Therefore, I can totally empathize with this person, no matter like whether they're happy, sad, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I can understand the, it. And the key is that that doesn't mean that you don't hold your boundaries or you give your power away, but it's you coming from a place of respect, love, kindness, compassion, those things. And that's shadow work, essentially. The deeper you have done your shadow work, the more you can see yourself in all versions of humanity. Mm. And I think to me, that part came really clear when I looked at um um, as a psychologist, I never wanted to work in with pedophiles. It always was something I had no compassion towards. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I wouldn't give that person the treatment that they needed. And then I'm, I was involved in a, in a case and I'm like, I looked at that part. I understand very, how you got into this scenario. I can have compassion. I still didn't treat the person because I had no experience. But I think shadow work essentially is you look at all your parts. And essentially you can go through life and you can go like, yeah, that could be me. That could have been me. That could have been me. Mm. And I think if you come to the place, life becomes easy because you can go through life and you don't need to have an opinion. You don't need to judge. You just go like, good day, sir. Yeah. Wish you well. Yeah. That's a really difficult topic. 
and probably long far outside yeah, of our scope. Yeah, we already heaps in time. Like it's already. <laughs> but, <laughs> Poor Glenn has to edit all my. <laughs> that's one of the things, like where you know, certainly in my own mindset now, like I believe in like compassionate execution, where it's like, hey, we can't keep you around. Like I, I I'm terror. I feel so bad for you that this is how you've turned out, and I'm not even mad at you, but you can't stick around. Are you I, talking about your forum on social media? <laughs> Like, the words are pretty strong. (laughs) So thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So we are deep into me and Glenn's therapy session Mm. and we should probably wrap it up there. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And um, look, if something spoke to you today, shoot me an email, check my website out, birdieoshitty.com. It's up soon. And, yeah, I wish you all well. I wish, wish you lots of love. Well, we do need to get you back anyway because imposter syndrome keeps popping up and I know you said that's a long one, but... Yeah, it's. I just didn't have enough time to prepare it because mm. I didn't want to wing it yep, because it's actually a deep one. Like it you is. can get really – if you talk about the funnel of psychology, we can go just top strategies, but you can Google them. Let's go deep. Okay, well, that's the next subject matter that's deep in the I, list I, of sir, everybody. I have it on my to-do list. Yep. So prepare for it and when you're satisfied with the material – let us know and we'll book you back in for the show. Thank you. I'm in a place now where I hopefully come back more regularly. That'd love to have you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. That's it. Lots for of love. Mwah. That's it for another episode of me and Glenn's live therapy sessions. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to support our live therapy sessions, the best way to do that Pay is Pay me, to- not them. <laughs> <laughs> is to do Birdie's course. Get online and do Birdie's. Or contact um, me for coaching. Contact Birdie for coaching. Spaces at Website time. again, tell us what it is. Birdieoshitty.com. Get in because you've only got a waiting list, limited availability. Don't yeah. fuck around if you're interested. And do it before you reach critical points. Like I think that's the most important thing. If, if we can gleam anything from the messages that we're trying to do from our experiences, mine, Pat's, Birdie's, and a host of other people is get in before it gets to critical point. Like don't wait for you to hit that bloody wall all the time. That's the worst part. And you won't be judged. Like literally what mm. you have done, I've done too. Many times. Yeah. Many, 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 many times. Yeah. Mm. All right. That's it. If you want to support the show, get into Patreon, give us three bucks. Get a fucking tapestry. Get a world tapestry from Teespring. Yeah. Hopefully people are enjoying the Patreon stuff, um, having fun making it. I've got another cool idea coming out. Awesome. Um, Great. Yeah. I'm working on stuff. Anyway, you want to get in contact with us, join the Facebook group. Lots of people coming into there. Lots of good discussions going down. Having fun in there. Join our Clubhouse group. The join our Clubhouse. On, on Clubhouse. Yeah. We mentioned it. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we can. I mean, that's that we have a group. It's just part of the conversation. We have now. a group. And if you want to get in contact with us, shoot us an email. We are info at the Canon Paradigm. Also, follow us on the Instagram. Instagram, yes. Mm. Me too. Bertie yep. Oshidi. Yep. The Canine Paradigm. Oh, I'm Operant Canine. <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram. Everyone's looking at me. Yeah. Okay, okay. goodbye. Bye.